Now we're recording. Okay. So uh, we're here. We're here. We're here recording. Yeah. Lane, there's something excited. you're missing, though. What am I missing? A spray. Oh, <gasps> wait. Bear with us here. All is well with the world. Today, it's a little rose. Thank you for being here. I'll be here all night. <laughs> all right. What else is going on? We have someone else uh, with us today, mm -hmm. which is really exciting. Yep, we do. do yeah. Uh, you know, sober since 2019. Mm -hmm. Love what science. Lo okay. We right love there. Science. We love science completely. I'm all in on this one. I cannot <laughs> wait. I cannot wait. Uh, has a wonderful uh, educational podcast, mm -hmm. which I love. Uh, huge fan of video games. I love video games. You I, do? Nintendo. Nintendo. Remember Duck yes. Hunt? And yep. so yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, has a cat. Yep. Mm. We just saw her crazy behavior. <laughs> Uh, and you know, also, uh, what I really appreciate is out loud with recovery. So I'm really excited to be with our guest today. Who's our guest today? Our guest is Jill Teets from sober powered. I know Ooh. I was like, I wish we had like a call in line and we could I just know. say, can you call in and guess who it is? Yeah. And beautiful tattoos. Mind you, I, you know, I'm a big fan of the tattoos. Yeah, mm -hmm. me too. Me too. Yeah. Thank you both. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you. Are you ready for this? Yes. Okay, good. I'm so glad. Hey, I want to start this off though, because we answer questions, right? We love questions. And so Jill, have you thought of a question to ask us? I thought of half of it, but I'm going to do the other half on the fly. Ooh. Okay. So my question is podcast related, of course, since we are all podcasters here. Um, would you rather have a hundred thousand downloads a month, but you have to do all of your editing and edit my show too, <laughs> which isn't that long. So it's not that bad. Or would you rather have your current number of downloads, but a team of volunteers that are experts at like the production process? Tamar, go are ahead. You, are you pitching us, Jill? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I have to do our show. I have to edit this. Wait. Is no. this a trick question? It's not hard to edit. I'm just curious because I know a lot of us podcasters hate editing and I was literally just editing before I came on. Hmm. So, and I've been doing it all day and, and I was like, now I remember why you I have a hundred thousand downloads. I don't, but I will, no, but you will. We, we all will like yeah. that. That's where we're going. Per month. Per, per month. month. Yeah. Uh, or have a team of volunteers who do it. Who are experts at it. Oh yeah. And you I'm don't have to pay them. I am handing that shit over, but you don't have a hundred thousand downloads a month. Then. You know what? It's if I'm <laughs> helping and serving one person, two people, three people, because that's who we're talking to right now. Um, yes, I'm all in. I love it. 
I have to agree. Like my initial thing is to go hard and do it all. But then from my recent experience of slowing down, I'm like, yeah, I would rather have it done perfectly. Yes. <laughs> and yes. so everything sounds good. I mean, not that we don't sound good the way we are. I mean, we're just showing up and we sound good, but do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? You guys actually sound really good. So whoever, if you do your editing or whoever's doing it is doing a really good job. There you Thank go. You. There we go. Yeah, we're I winning. Hashtag winning. Uh, so is this your decision that you're sitting on, Jill? Uh, my decision would be to have the numbers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Why is that? Let's talk about that. Yeah. Why would you want to have the numbers? So then I can help the most amount of people out there. And I'm used to doing the grind. So if there's a little bit more grind that I have to do by editing your show too, <laughs> then mm -hmm. I will do it. I don't know. I've always been more interested. Like there are people that are very attracted to one-on-one -on -one work mm -hmm. and like maybe having, I don't know, having courses that they have like a percentage of their audience. in. I've always wanted to like write a book and then the book is like $10 and then like everybody can buy it. I've always been more like get the maximum amount of people possible. I see. Maybe not the best strategy, but that's what's attractive to me. <laughs> see my book's 14.99. Yeah, I think mine is too. <laughs> Maybe we're, we're overpriced. <laughs> I did lower my first one down to $8.99 for, it might still be there actually, because I might've forgotten about mm -hmm. it, but yeah, helping more people. I like helping more people. I mean. Yeah. Helping more people is the game. I mean, that's why we're all talking about being in recovery and being sober powered. Uh, you know, what's, where'd that come from? Where'd you get this idea of sober powered? It came from, I think like my first month of sobriety, really, I was working um, as a biochemist and it was around the holidays. So it was right around like Thanksgiving and Christmas time. So there were a lot of happy hours or a lot of like going out to bar things or parties at work. And I was just kind of the like, I quit, I don't need help person. So I was doing it on my own and I'm going to all these drinking parties where everyone knows I used to drink and now all of a sudden I don't drink. So now everyone wants to know <laughs> about that. And I would go home and like cry in my car every time because it was so, I didn't have a bad time. It was just like, I built it up to be so much. Mm -hmm. And then over like the first month or so, my life started improving a lot. And I started like feeling proud of myself and taking more chances in life. And then I was like, wow, this is all because of sobriety. And I felt like I was building up this like bank of power from all the days that I stayed sober that I could then just like translate into other things in my life. Well, you know, I, I love that. Lane's a superhero. <laughs> Yeah, I heard, um, I was listening to you guys recently. I heard uh, that you had 25 years, right? 25? Yep, one day I have at a two time. and a half. Yeah, <laughs> you know, hey, you know, two and a half years is, is epic, right? Anything under five is huge. Yeah. Because after five, you start living your life. But that getting those first five years 
you know, right. Changing your life down to the chemical process is everything. And then after five, it's about living, starting to live your life. And then anybody after 10, you know, that's like milestones, right? It, it's different, different levels of life experience. Two and a half years, you're doing great. Thank you. Amazing. Absolutely. Like, I can't even believe it. When somebody tells me they, they got sober, like in the pandemic or pre, right? Like you got sober right before the pandemic hit. Like that's insanity to me. I'm thinking, no way I'm drinking in my closet. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm so lucky that I did and that it wasn't during. Whew. You know, even at when I was at eight years sober, when the pandemic hit, as soon as they said, oh, they might close down the liquor stores, like my heart actually hurt a little bit. And I haven't drank for a really long time, but I was like, those poor people, like what would I have done if I still, like I put myself back in that position yeah. of sheer panic. Yeah. So thank Same. God. Same. Same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you got, you got locked up in your house during the pandemic and you're, you're self-willing it. Are you a member of a 12 step or are you just like a freestyle, um, sobriety. I guess I'm more like freestyle. Um, Mm -hmm. I do therapy. That's probably been my number one. I've attended meetings like off and on, but I haven't Mm -hmm. found like my meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you you know, are you open to it? Yeah, I am. Okay. Some people just like the wall is down and there's no, like, no, I'm not doing that. Even though those are spiritual principles, I'm not going to engage. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, I was that person too, actually, who just cut it off. How, what happened? Like, how did you get there? I've just always felt that way. I think the way that we see AA, you know, before you're a sober person, like in the, you know, general population, you see it as like, like the alcoholics go there and it's like so Mm -hmm. religious and, and like, it's a cult, you know, all of those things. And then when I got sober, I was like, no, I am not going there. That is not for me. And then as I started learning more about, you know, what's going on in the brain for addiction, Mm -hmm. I realized like, this is something that AA says. This is also something that AA says. And then I was like, huh, they kind of know what they're talking about. (laughs) And then like over time, like I'll say something and someone will be like, that's on page, whatever in the big book. I'm like, I'm impressed. You know, the exact page, but I'm not surprised because mm-hmm. they know their stuff. So then it broke down that resistance. And then I've been able to kind of pass that on mm-hmm. to anyone that listens to me or, you know, interacts with me to try mm-hmm. to get them to go to AA and not have that like judgment. Yeah. Cause we're, we're judgmental people, right. By nature. I mean, I think I was the same way in early. I'm like, Mm-mm, not like you people, but Mm-mm. boy, was that an awakening. Yeah. The first meeting that I went to, uh, there were, uh, truck drivers. Okay. Motorcycle gang. Okay. And, uh, women with the little tiny, like the, okay. Your tank top, you know, it's the, the white, the men's, you know, right. But it was, they were like dirty, you know, and they're like showing down, you know, like really. mm. So those are the ladies that were in the room and here I come with, uh, you know, a little polo shirt on. <laughs> okay. The little straight bobbed cut haircut. And I was like, Oh no, this is not for me. <laughs> yeah. So I get, I get it. It's like, 
Mm-mm. And they start saying, they talked about God. They said, oh, they, they freaking said this prayer. And I was like, no, bye. <laughs> yeah. Yep, so I get yep. it. I get it 100%. <laughs> I do. Yeah. So were you a blackout drinker then, or were you more kind of what they call that gray area drinker? Uh, I drank every day and I blacked out a couple times a week. So mm. I guess I was like a hybrid daily drinker, binge drinker. Yes. I got, I got the best of both kinds. For my people. <laughs> Jill. Jill. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm in love with you right now. Just completely in love with you. <laughs> We would have been friends. It would have been bad. <laughs> Causing mayhem. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hyping each other up. <laughs> Let's go. Oh my God. Whew. Did you dance on the bar or anything like that? I didn't, but I okay. would do karaoke oh, or okay. like one time I drank a beer out of like this giant like four foot tall hockey trophy. Like what? I, I did so I did other stuff. things. Okay. Did you ever flash a restaurant? No. No. Okay. I've never done that. That was just me. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite thing to do. There's still restaurants I can't go into. Wow. No. Not going there. Okay. So you got sober in 2019. We dipped down into uh, the pandemic and you decided I'm going all in on this. And I'm going to start doing some research because, hey, I'm a scientist. It's what I do. So as you have uh, evolved in your recovery, what has been one of the biggest aha moments that you've discovered? The first one that I had a few, but the first one that was like huge was that alcohol doesn't feel the same for everybody. I couldn't understand why my husband or like, almost everyone else I see in real life can have a drink and then they're like, Oh, I'm done. Or like they, they leave half a drink. Like once, once my husband said to me recently, we always make fun of my experience because it just helps me. But he, he had half a beer and left the other half. And then he said, I'm not trying to get a buzz on. And I was like, what are you trying to do? Why? What was the point of that? Yeah. You can get a buzz on and you don't want to like, yeah. 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 How long have you been married? Uh, almost seven years, seven years. How old are you? I'm going to be 32 tomorrow. Oh my God. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Amazing. You're so young. How amazing is this? Okay. Wait, wait, actually 32. Oh yeah. Okay. One day you're going to have long-term recovery like this. <laughs> <laughs> One day. I feel like there's something that happens to women who get sober early. It's like, there's a, a, a preservate, like a preservation, right? Like, like, I don't know. It, we're, we're lucky. You're lucky. Oh my God. Yeah. I did it. I was like a couple months before my 30th birthday. Yes. I was very lucky. So now I have my whole life. That's right. And your husband is not an alcoholic, not in sober land, doesn't even drink. Jesus. He's like half, half, beer. half yeah. a beer. That's yeah. the kind of guy that he is. So yeah, I learned that we don't 
like experience alcohol the same like for him it's you know meh it's whatever Mm -hmm. and for me my brain is like going nuts it's like the best feeling in the entire world Mm -hmm. and when I learned that I was like well then that makes a lot of sense that's why wouldn't I want to drink 24 7 (laughs) no right oh man (laughs) okay do we want to talk about what's happening in the brain with our listeners I think we should Yeah, I think that our listeners would love or appreciate you sharing about that. Do you want to, do you want to indulge? (laughs) That's your expertise, right? Like this is where you kind of shine. Let's talk about that experience. Yeah. Let's talk about the experience uh, that occurs in the brain when we get that hit of deliciousness. Yeah. So when you take a drink, you get a boost of endorphins. A lot of things happen, but you get a boost of endorphins. You get a boost of serotonin, which makes your mood better. You feel relaxed. So your brain activity slows down. So now all of your anxiety goes away and your stress. Um, You get a big boost of dopamine. So then you remember how amazing it felt and how low your stress level was and how much happier you were and all that's happening really quick. And that's why we believe, you know, alcohol is the best thing in the whole world. And then towards the end of the night, when the alcohol wears off, you get a giant drop in serotonin Mm -hmm. way below your baseline. Now you're super depressed and your brain activity speeds up to try to compensate for what the alcohol did at the beginning of the night. So now you have anxiety. Um, so all basically everything you got in the beginning, you now get the opposite of that. And we often blame ourselves. You know, I'm just a depressed person. I'm just an anxious person, but it's really just the alcohol wearing off. And then we're driven to do it again because we remember how much it helped us. It doesn't help. It doesn't. It helps for like an hour and then it, (laughs) and then it really just doesn't for 23 hours. Yeah. You know, I, again, (laughs) I'm sure you read, uh, Anna, uh, Anna Lemke's, uh, dopamine nation. Yes. I love that book. So, you know, you know, the guy, right. That she describes with the little sexual addiction with, uh, doing his stuff. I was thinking about how people with addiction issues, the extreme lengths that they go to. And in that book, she beautifully lays it out for us. Right. I just can't even like once, once I heard that, I was like, wow, we are really different individuals. We have a different, what you just said, the, the brain chemicals that happen, the dopamine, the serotonin, like what happens is crucial for people to understand Yeah, that we're not, that we're not all walking around the same. Yep. And, um, as you drink more and more and more, your reward system can be changed. And that's, you know, that depends on genetics. So again, that's probably a vulnerability that we all had where our brain was more vulnerable to alcohol induced changes. So then your reward center is releasing even more dopamine. And most people think it's a pleasure chemical. It's a motivational chemical. So dopamine helps you remember how amazing 
alcohol was, but then when it's released, it motivates you to seek it out. And that's exactly what you're describing. The lengths that we will go to, to get the reward. And we build out um, these like cues Mm -hmm. to get this reward. So like if you're driving home and you pass like the bar, you know, that you used to go crazy at every Thursday night, your brain is anticipating alcohol because it knows you used to go there every single Thursday and get drunk. So it's releasing dopamine to try to motivate you to seek out your little alcohol reward. And yeah, and it's little, 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 (laughs) that one drink, you know, just that one. Just one more. See, Mm -hmm. and that brings up an interesting point because for me in early recovery, I had to stay away from a lot. Like I I dip my toe in, I'd be like, well, I'm going to go to that house party and see how it was. And six Diet Cokes later in an hour, right? Because my brain like that, that was like charging for me. And I had to stay away from those regular things and start to change what I did so that, you know, my brain wasn't like, hey, Tamar, look at you. Like you're outside on a deck. You should be ordering a beer right now. And, you know, slowly I was able to, you know, now I can go into a bar, no problem. And I don't even feel like drinking because, well, I'll get kicked out. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to ruin your life. (laughs) Exactly. I like to stay places now and, uh, you know, enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) So if we know... Uh, that we have this different brain, you know, what do we say to somebody who (sighs) is trying to moderate, you know, they're in that gray drinking zone. I know what I say, but what do you say? (laughs) (laughs) I would actually really like to know what you say later. Um, but I, I just say very simply, if you could, you would. You know, if you could moderate, you'd just be doing that. You know, it doesn't, it's not something that you can learn because you're not choosing to not moderate. And I think what there's like this invisible line that we never know when it is, but usually we can like reflect back and be like, ah, that was the time in my life where I stopped being able to control how much I drank, or there was a time for me when I was 26, when I couldn't choose not to drink anymore. And like that one, you know, time where I might start later in the night or have like a mocktail first, I couldn't do that anymore. Um, And I would just say like, it's not something that you can learn. Like alcohol changes the brain. It carves out these really intense pathways that lead us down to alcohol by motivating us to search for it through dopamine which then causes cravings and all these things. And you can't like undo that whole pathway formation. Okay, Jill, pause. Cause I want, I want, I, I'm going to rewind that. <laughs> Moderation is not something you can learn because it is in, embedded ingrained. The, the pathway gets larger, correct? Yeah. And even when you have 25 years, your pathways are still there. They might be a little bit dusty because you haven't used your alcohol pathway. But if you started drinking again, your brain would be like, ah, I remember this. So it's, I'm so glad that you brought that up because, you know, a lot of, well, people with a lot of time, uh, when they have such a relapse, or they decide they, you know, they 
find themselves with a bottle of pills or drink in hand, uh, that is the way back in is deadly. They can't get back Mm -hmm. because that, because, and it's like the disease of alcoholism was waiting for them because that pathway, like you just said, is still there. So if, if you're listening to this, I I really just want to like that point, moderation is something that we can't undo. (laughs) We can't like, it's kind of wild that people think that they can. And you just laid it out so beautiful. I love the way you said that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. And I just want to add something. A lot of like, so the people that I personally know that are definitely not alcoholics, none of them have to justify why they do or do not drink. They just don't drink. And I usually, if people come to me and they're like, how do I know if I have a drinking problem? I'm like, well, if you're trying to like moderate your drinking or you have to like explain why you do or do not drink, you might want to take a look at that, right? Because people who don't, they, they don't even talk about it. Like it's a non thing. It's, you know, my, my, uh, one of my friends, we've known each other since high school. I've seen her drunk five times and I'm like, oh, you're not going to have a glass of wine. We're at a celebration. She's like, no, why? I'm like, that's weird. (laughs) It still weirds me out more than, yeah. So can you define gray drinking for us? I would say the gray area drinkers can sometimes moderate with intense focus. I think those people are early in the path towards addiction. Mm -hmm. They might just have like a twinge and if they really focus, they can mm-hmm. resist cravings, they can set up rules, you know, mm, to have rules. however many drinks. And usually they follow the rules. Occasionally they'll go overboard and then beat the crap out of themselves and shame themselves. Mm. But then they'll get right back to those rules. Um, yeah. And then over the years, it just, it creeps and it never gets, it never gets better. Like you never drink less when you think about alcohol all the time it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and then before you know it you drink every single day and Mm -hmm. then your excuse is not like well at least i you know have two Mm -hmm. and then stop now your excuse is at least i'm not drunk at work or at least i don't drink in the morning like your excuses are not like good things anymore it's like mine was like oh at least i you know, I don't have to take sick days for hangovers. And then I started having to do that. And I'm like, my, my mind was going crazy. Like, well, what can I justify? Like, what does this mean? I took a sick day. I'm a loser. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. These, the gray drinkers, I find them fascinating. Yeah. Mar, do you have any gray drinkers in your life? I have people who think they might be great drinkers, I think, uh-huh. you know, because it's kind of they're those justifiers. They're the ones that are like, I'm going dry January. Watch me. I'm like, good for you. Yeah, no, I just I don't I somebody reached out to me to be a guest on the show and they were promoting gray drinking. And I, I was like, have you heard me talk? Have you do you know who I am? <laughs> like, seriously, like you you're either like lying to yourself 100% or you don't have a problem with alcohol and like, just choose your side because this gray zone is going to get you in trouble. If you keep going down the path, just like Jillian just said, right? Like it is so I'm fascinated by it. 
Yeah, and I think the most interesting thing about any gray area drinker, I think something they can all identify with is even if you can force yourself to stop, even if you can resist a craving, you're never satisfied. Oh, My husband stops because he's satisfied with that half beer and he's not trying to get a buzz on for no one understands why. But these gray area drinkers are not satisfied. They're so- forcing themselves to stop. Makes me uncomfortable. Just like, like, what is the point? Like living by rules and being not satisfied. No. Could you imagine Lane having a few glasses of wine and then being like, "Mm, okay, I got to go home. I'm a gray area drinker. I got to go now. I'm sorry if you're a gray drinker and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, Lane is a total asshole. I just, (laughs) my brain, okay. My pathway is so wide and grooved in that I don't understand it. And if you're a gray drinker and you are happy and you don't make rules (laughs) and you are satisfied with three glasses of wine and then you're done, will you please message me and let me know? I would love that conversation. Seriously. (laughs) Thank you for bringing that up, Jillian, because I, I, it's, it's this weird thing. It's this weird new, uh, group of people. Yeah. And their danger too, is something can happen in their life. Something really bad that they don't know how to cope with because they rely on alcohol to cope. And then that just shoots them really far down the progression to having an addiction. Like maybe they're on this like slow march towards like, I don't know, alcoholism, addiction, whatever you want to call it. But there's like these points in our lives. Like I can identify mine where it's like, I'm just kind of chilling. And then it's like, bam, and something happened. And they're at risk for that. Like at all times, you never know when that's Mm going to happen. And that one thing might shoot them into addiction and then they're like stuck in that horrible cycle for years. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to admit complete defeat. Well, that's hard. That feels like really shameful. Like you are a huge loser. Like I can't control a drink. Everyone else around me can do it. Like I must be a loser because I can't. Right. And that's that's why the stigma of alcoholism needs to go. Yep. yep right? That is why we're having these conversations. That is why I raised my hand at 23 years of recovery and said that enough is enough. You know, when the pandemic hit, um, the stigma around alcoholism, it's a mental, it's a mental disorder, alcohol use disorder. It's like the quicker that we can get people on board with this, the happier, the safer the world will become. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And one of the other things that just came to mind too is how we, when we, I don't know about, I started drinking when I was 14, right? And I would, my parents, I didn't, my dad says, you didn't catch it from me, although it runs in my family. The whole rest of my family has addiction issues. But because I started at such a young age, right? You know, the every year that you start before the age of 21, I think the statistic is you're 7% more likely to develop substance abuse issues that's a young age to get started at, right? Because I didn't want to deal with my emotions. Like I couldn't handle my emotions. And I was like, it was magical the first time I got drunk. So even, you know, I see it all the time, parents having these big house parties and these young kids watching their parents grow up and associating with fun with drinking alcohol. Like it's so dangerous. 
Yeah, I read, I'm, I might be saying it wrong, but I'm pretty sure I have it right. But there was a study that looked at people who start really young, like 14, 15 versus people who wait till they're 21. And they looked at them, you know, later in life, maybe in their 30s or 40s. And they found that about 15% of the people who waited till they were 21 developed a problem. 50% yeah. of people who started in their early teens developed yeah. a product because it your brain is developing and yep. then you're blasting it with something that has the ability to change your brain and your brain's super vulnerable because it's not even like a full brain yet. Like it's still doing its thing. So alcohol changes it in a way that makes it super vulnerable to addiction where if you just waited till you were 21, you wouldn't have those same vulnerabilities. Maybe. That was, that was an epic study when it came out. Uh, I was talking to my girlfriend and we both have kids and I told her and she's like, that's exactly right. <laughs> she made this really big statement. She's like, uh, I didn't start, I didn't take a drink until my twenties. And she was comparing, comparing people. And that is why I am not an alcoholic. She's like, I should be an alcoholic. <laughs> And I was like, okay, let's hold on. But then we started talking about our kids and I have a 12 year old and, and I, I, at 12 years old, I was already drinking. I was like three sheets to the wind, but the importance of that study has made me think about every parent needs to know this information, mm -hmm. right? Like if you just talk to your kids about alcohol, you know, in a very mature manner, talk about what's happening in their brain. Because when ki kids are smart, you know, we discount what they understand and what they can comprehend. And so I had this conversation with my son and he was like, I'm not interested, mom, like not interested in drinking. Right. He was like, you know, I think I'm going to go straight edge. And I was like, that's right. <laughs> that's right. You go straight edge all the way. So, so I love this study. I'd love that you just brought that up. Thank you for sharing that. I was, you know, the 15%. I didn't really start till I was 22, but so I would have been like wow. really doomed. If Can I you imagine you would have been shooting up and in the <laughs> flop house. Yeah. If I had, it's like who your friends are too. Like if yeah. I was really bullied in school, that's why I didn't drink because no one mm. invited me anywhere. But imagine if I was a cool kid. Yeah. And I was invited to all of this stuff and I was exposed to drugs. Like I could have really had some significant issues yeah. more than I already do. Okay. But Julian, why, why were you not invited? Why were you not the cool kid? You're the, you're what, what, what was going on? I'm cool now at 32. <laughs> what was going on in high school? Were you like into drama or like the music? Did you have like a, a flute or something? <laughs> no, I was bullied since fifth grade, actually. Just, I was the kid that moved. I was a new kid. Mm, new popular, kid. Yeah. Popular girl decided, you know, she didn't like me. And then you're she cute. turned everyone against me. And then that was that. And it just, yeah. there was no yeah. real like reason. I just mm -hmm. kind of kept to myself, studied. Yeah. So you're super smart. I'm not that smart, but I'm above average. <laughs> <laughs> That I know. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, do you, okay. You know, are you on Facebook? You're probably not on Facebook. Not too much, a little bit, but it's so dramatic over there. 
Oh, it's so dramatic. No, I was just thinking about if you were on Facebook, you could go back to those fifth graders. You know, you could always find those bratty kids and be like, look at me now, sucker. Like, look at my Instagram followers. <laughs> Aren't you jealous? Because they would they would be all up in that. I mean, like, what? What's going on with her? Yeah. We should have them on the show. We'll do a little <laughs> panel discussion with the three of us. It's like, so were you an asshole in high school? Look at, look, look what happens. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's think. I, I did want to talk about emotional sobriety because I think that's really important. My favorite uh, I, topic. Really? <laughs> yep. Why is that your favorite topic? I didn't understand this until I was like maybe 18 years sober. So you're two. <laughs> so tell me about it. So I was so dramatic when I was drinking uh -huh. so dramatic and I perceived things differently from how they really were mm. and then I got sober and I started seeing the world as it actually is I guess and I was like wow I'm not dramatic anymore like I can think clearly I can I don't have to react immediately to things like I just started from personal experience and then I started reading about it and I was like, oh, this is called emotional sobriety. Cause I would still- What did have... you read? <laughs> I'll have to go look back and see like the very first things that I read, mm -hmm. but I read a lot about like resiliency. Like what is yep. that? Yep. Um, and that's probably like my biggest passion now, like emotion mm -hmm. intensity. Like mm -hmm. why do some people feel things bigger than other people? Like I didn't know that was possible. I thought mm -hmm. if you just- are a loser and you can't control your feelings, you know, you're going to become an alcoholic and be even a bigger loser. And some people are just mature and they're, you know, they have self-control mm -hmm. and they can handle their feelings and whatever, mm -hmm. but that's just not true. Some people have very intense emotions mm -hmm. and they don't know how to deal with them. And mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just passionate about like, why do people feel differently about the same kind of stuff? Like whatever my trigger is, it'll like, make me go from zero to a hundred and my husband i don't know what his triggers are actually like <laughs> i don't know if he has any that what's yours i have two okay my one of them is when i think i'm being disrespected which is probably really common hmm. and then my other one is when people either outright say it or imply that i'm stupid <gasps> that's my main one Somebody would imply that you're stupid. Oh yeah. So mean. Unfortunately, it's a trigger I've dealt with a lot. Um, when I really? was, why would yeah. they say that? Why it's would they even imply uh, that? Something that I've encountered with men. I was just going to say, because <laughs> you're a female and you're smart as balls. Yep. Let's get I, those guys on the show too. No, they make <laughs> me cry. <laughs> Yes, yeah, okay. so that is my weakness is men implying or saying that I'm not smart. That gets me like crazy. When was the last someone disrespected you? Uh, like an hour ago. <laughs> Are you serious? It's was stupid. it me? No, it wasn't you. <laughs> okay. What yeah. happened? Um, somebody parked in my driveway that doesn't live in my house and Oof. we get disrespected by the same people 
that, you know, just ask, but they just do things like that. And mm-hmm. I came home and I was going to pull into my driveway and there's a car in my driveway. And I'm like, you know, and then in my head, I'm like, they don't respect you. Like, they don't care what you think. They don't care about your driveway. Like, <laughs> so my head did all of that. So you guys actually helped me get out of that loop. But oh, yeah, God. disrespect will will make me really angry. Mm-hmm. Silly things like that. Really silly things. You know, what's interesting is that people don't even understand that that is a sign of disrespect, right? Or arrogance, uh, entitlement. I am like, yes, entitlement is a huge thing for me. People park in front, like parallel to another car that's parked. And then they jump out of the car and and they hold up the whole traffic. Yes. Right. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? What, like pull into the driveway, like you're (laughs) Or the people at Starbucks that park in like the fire lane. Oh, those yeah. people like, <laughs> I want to like walk up to their car and they're just like waiting in their car, you know, doing their mobile order. It's like, just park. There's a parking yeah. lot right There's there. A... Yeah. That, yeah, that, that gets entitlement me. that that's like, uh, it brings <laughs> to mind Allie McBeal moments for me. Like when that stuff happens, I just have those Allie McBeal moments. Like grab the bat out of my car and start swinging. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine? Oh my God. Okay. So we're talking about emotional sobriety and on it. And really it's, it's being able to uh, pause, right? Yep. This is my wheelhouse, all about mindfulness and being able to understand what I'm feeling. But again, I'm like, you're two years sober and you're just getting this. It's because you're a nerdy brain science. I think that's why you're on top of it. Love it. I spend a lot of time on this stuff. (laughs) I think it's so cool. Like it's magical. Uh, What is, what can someone do uh, to support their emotional sobriety? There's a few things. I think something that's helped me a lot is reflecting on the past when Mm. I wasn't emotionally sober um and looking at things that i've done that turned out you know i i thought something was going on and it actually wasn't that at all and i just like embarrassed myself with my big reaction or like i took something out of context or like i flipped out for no reason i think analyzing the past and then being like what could i do better next time mm-hmm helps so then because you're you're going to encounter maybe not identical situations but similar for the most part except for the big triggers like someone telling me i'm stupid that's a different category but what's also helped is to make drinking a non-negotiable for me um so when someone implies that i'm stupid my brain goes like we need to get drunk and ruin our lives like right now. (laughs) That's all I want to do. And then very quickly in response, I just think we don't do that anymore. So then, you know, I go through a few more self-destructive things. I'm like, let's never eat again for the rest of our lives. Like that's going to help. Eventually after I can keep saying, no, we don't do that. I can get to the healthier things and being willing to do the stupid stuff, like the stuff we automatically brush off, like ugh, journaling, like that is dumb. Like go on a walk, like 
ooh, call a friend, take a bath, like all the stuff that you judge and think is dumb, being willing to do that stuff has helped me, even though it's dumb. And you can think the whole time it's dumb. You just do it anyways. And then later when you didn't blow up your life, you're grateful. But I think, I think reflection is a big one too. And then working with a therapist to understand what your triggers are. Because if I didn't understand my disrespect slash entitlement trigger and my stupid trigger, I would keep going from zero to a hundred and I wouldn't understand why. And now when I go from zero to a hundred and it's like, whoa, like what happened? I can think who hurt you? And I ask myself that, and then I can always identify what happened that set me off. And then that also the positive okay, wait a minute. talking okay. about. Okay. Okay. You said you always can. Yeah, you're like now a, I can. you're like a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Okay. Well, keep going. <laughs> I don't interact with that many people. So <laughs> I don't have a lot of options. That's the key. That is, is right the there. Key. It's small. Just don't talk to anybody. Lena yeah. likes three people. So yeah, this is it. This is the box right here. Meditation and three people. That's it. She <laughs> actually has a t-shirt. So <laughs> yeah, but yep, I think understanding what gets you is the most important and what like gets you like big time. Like I'm not going to feel an urge to drink over disrespect or because somebody parked in the fire lane at Starbucks. <laughs> But I will feel an urge to drink when somebody implies that I'm stupid. So just knowing that about myself and knowing that if that happens, I am going to feel like I want to drink, then I can like, you know, like a preemptive strike. I can like get ready for it for the next time. Hopefully it never happens again, but I'm ready for it. Mm -hmm. Do you... um I love those tips. Did you get all those tips tomorrow? Yeah, I did. I've been, okay. I'm still working on it. It's okay. so it's hard. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. Do dumb things. Just do them anyways. I like that. <laughs> That's like my favorite thing. I know. I do it all the time. Do dumb things and do it. It doesn't matter what your head is saying. Just do them. Uh, you know, one of the things that's been important for me to maintain my recovery is having a, uh, G O D. And I'm curious if you have a spiritual connection, if you, uh, are plugged in, uh, anything like that. I would say like mostly no, or like it's background. It's not something that I think about too much. I believe more like in the universe and kind of like you know, energy and like what you put out there and, and stuff like that. But I haven't, I don't think about it daily. Like sometimes mm -hmm. something I really do believe is kind of along these spiritual lines, I think is when things are going like really bad for you, but you're working hard and you're trying your best to be like a nice person. Then eventually the universe is going to be like, here's a little nice thing for you. You're so you believe right in path. the universe. So you believe yeah. in the universe, right? So that yeah. is a spiritual element, right? Like I talk about the ocean of yum, like 
nobody knows what that is. What the fuck is that? It's the ocean of yum. It's this place I go to every day in my union, in my meditation, right? It is this place that fills me up, that rewards me with that little something, right? Brought me Tamar, now brought me you, right? Because I'm showing up every day and I'm like, this is, this is awesome. This is life. Yes. So you do believe. I guess I do. Yeah. And you have to be willing to be on the lookout for that stuff too. If you're just walking around, everything sucks. Why me? Why is my life always so bad? Then you're going to find more bad stuff. Well, I mean, that's brain stuff too, right? Yeah. 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 Tomorrow you believe believe. you have something. Yeah. You have something too. (laughs) That's another episode. That's a whole other episode. (laughs) We won't even go there. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Jillian, I have totally enjoyed this conversation. Have you? Yes. This, I needed this today, actually. Thank you both so much. (laughs) So glad. I'm so glad that we could hang out. Tamar, have you enjoyed this conversation? I love having these conversations, yeah. right? You just, cause there's so much to talk about. I mean, I'm sure we probably could have extended this to a three hour episode, Oh yeah, especially when it comes about the brain and just everything we go yeah. through. Cause our experience can help other people. So yeah, thank oh. you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge and nerding out with us. Cause we're nerds too. Like we're, and we're super proud of it. And you guys are so fun. So if you want me back anytime I'm available. Beautiful. <laughs> All right, everyone. Enjoy this day, this moment. Tamar signing off. Thanks for being here, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everyone. Before we go, did you know we have a webinar? Are you at the point right now where you're thinking WTF now what? Maybe the thought of who am I or who have I become has crossed your mind lately or when will enough be enough? If you're at that point, head on over to the website yoursobernowwhat.com, or you can find it directly from the Academy site, thenowwhatacademy.com. The webinar is absolutely free. We're going to teach you how to pause and reframe your toxic thinking. Hope to see you there and we'll see you next time.